Hello everyone and welcome to the March 29th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Troy Slayton with Floyd, Skern and Kelly. Let's get started with our litigation report. The California Supreme Court agreed to review the 6th District Court of Appeal decision in the controversial case of Duncan v. WCAB. John Duncan, who is the Director of Department of Industrial Relations, pursued this case to the Supreme Court as administrator of the subsequent Injuries Benefit Trust Fund. 2004 amendments to the Labor Code require that benefits for life pensions or total disability awards be adjusted for changes in the cost of living. The Duncan case deals with ambiguity about how this adjustment is to be calculated. The code did not specify if the COLA calculation starts on the date of injury or on the permanent and stationary date or even later when the first life pension payment begins. Duncan argued that the COLA should not apply until the benefits become due. The Court of Appeal rejected Duncan's argument and ruled that the cost of living adjustments in every case starts on January 1, 2004 and are recalculated every January thereafter, notwithstanding the date of injury or when the benefits become due. The Court of Appeal decision was a costly outcome on this issue for California employers. The COLA compounds annually and benefits increase substantially over time, especially for very young workers. Now that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear the case, employers are hoping for a more favorable result. It could take several years for a final decision to be rendered. The Court of Appeal ruled that Governor Schwarzenegger acted illegally when he ordered furloughs for hundreds of state lawyers. The ruling applies to about 500 state attorneys and hearing officers, including the attorneys who work for the state fund. There is a separate case pending before another division of the court that involves more than 7,000 clerical workers, support staff, and other employees of the fund. At stake is more than $1 billion in back pay, plus interest, that the state would owe the workers if they ultimately prevail in their cases. Governor Schwarzenegger has asked the state Supreme Court to bypass appellate courts and review these seven lawsuits that challenge most of the furloughs he has ordered. Maria Salazar, an employer who represented herself before the 5th District Court of Appeal, defeated a claim for unpaid work comp premiums brought by the state fund's collection agency. Salazar operated two businesses which had a single policy of work comp insurance from the state fund. The disputed charges arose from three annual audits of Salazar's payroll records, which the fund claimed resulted in additional premium of nearly $75,000. The amounts claimed were discussed and documented during a jury trial, resulting in a verdict in their favor. On appeal, Salazar concedes that she owes premiums, but claims the amount awarded was incorrect. Unfortunately for the state fund, the Court of Appeal noted that none of these supporting documents are in the appellate record. Although these records were collectively marked as Plaintiff's Exhibit 1, the trial court transcript contains no record of their ever having been admitted into evidence. The fund's collection agency was sent back to trial to deal once again with this employer who seems thus far to have the upper hand despite not having an attorney to represent her. A new panel decision, Young v. WCAB, Union Pacific Resources, and Tidelands Oil, clarified the application of the new Benson apportionment rules in cumulative injury cases. The landmark decision of Benson v. WCAB provides that separate injuries for the same employer that become permanent and stationary at the same time must be separately rated. 
Benson specifically overruled the long-standing Wilkinson rule that required these injuries to be rated as one case. Here's what happened in the Young case. The injured worker suffered both a specific and cumulative injury to his spine, lower extremities, gastrointestinal system, and his psyche. As a result of these injuries, he was permanently and totally disabled, and both injuries became permanent and stationary at the same time. The agreed medical examiners found that half of the permanent disability was caused by the specific and half by the cumulative injury. Each case was separately rated, and Young received a 59 and one quarter percent award after adjustment in each case. Neither award provided for a life pension. Prior to Benson, Young would have received a 100% award, which pays for the temporary disability rate for life. Young's attorney unsuccessfully argued that the dollar value of a total disability case should have been divided between the two injuries. The WCAB panel found this argument to be unpersuasive and affirmed the award of 59 and one quarter percent in each case. The Court of Appeal denied a petition for writ of review. A new survey published by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Institute for Legal Reform finds that California ranks with states that have the worst lawsuit climate in the country. Among local jurisdictions, Los Angeles courts were mentioned as the second worst in the nation for legal fairness after Chicago. San Francisco's courts were named as the sixth worst. This year's survey is the eighth such ranking of the 50 state lawsuit climates since 2002. California was given especially low rankings for its treatment of class action lawsuits. More than four class action lawsuits are filed every day. The California Supreme Courts are in session. Rather, the California Superior Courts are in session. Lawyers say the California judges, especially in Los Angeles and San Francisco, are willing to certify class actions that would not be certifiable in other states. In recent years, out-of-state law firms have opened offices in California to file asbestos claims that would have been barred in their home states. Corporate lawyers contacted for the survey say that a state's lawsuit environment is likely to impact important business decisions at their company, such as where to locate or expand their business. And now for our fraud report. John Smiley, a state correctional officer, claimed he was in a San Francisco restaurant with his wife when a parolee recognized him, then gunned him down with a shot that left him paralyzed from the waist down. Unable to work, Smiley filed a workers' compensation claim on the theory that being gunned down by a parolee is a hazard of his employment as a correctional officer. Last October, attorneys from both sides discussed a request from Smiley's attorney for a $2 million settlement of a case his attorney said was worth $8 million. The state realized that they did not have the police report on the shooting, so they obtained a copy from the San Francisco PD while they considered the settlement. The police report revealed quite a different and lurid background about how the shooting actually occurred. The problems for Smiley began at Pacific Avenue and Kearney Street in San Francisco in the early pre-dawn hours. At that corner was a swingers club named Twist, where admittance is only allowed after the owner approves an email request. The club is a two-story complex with a dance floor, a ceiling-to-floor dance pole, a DJ, and pornographic movies playing on televisions and a movie screen. Upstairs is the playroom, 
where Smiley and his wife were engaged in sex play with other patrons when an altercation broke out. Smiley was ultimately shot in the back by another patron as the dispute escalated. Smiley told the police about the altercation in the club and that he hoped it would not get back to his department. Smiley and his wife Cynthia Smiley now face five felony counts, alleging that the couple conspired to commit fraud. Two ex-Smurfit Stone plant managers entered guilty pleas to charges of conspiring to deny injured workers compensation benefits. Sentencing of Douglas Tekeota and David Polk is set for May 20th in the Division Three of the Salinas Courthouse. Two employees contacted the Monterey County District Attorney's Office complaining that workers were discouraged from filing workers' compensation claims at the Salinas plant. Investigators from the DA's office and the California Department of Insurance quickly launched an investigation and served several search warrants. They discovered injured workers were being treated outside the work comp system and that Tedioka and Polk were discouraging injured workers from filing claims and receiving benefits. One employee was given a prescription written in the name of the manager with the understanding that the medication could be given to other employees at the manager's discretion without medical consultation. Some work comp claims were ultimately opened when the injury persisted or the employee insisted on filing a claim due to insufficient medical treatment. The DA said that part of the motivation was an incentive program that paid bonuses to managers and other employees if the number of reported injuries was minimized. And in regulatory developments, the California Division of Workers' Compensation has moved its Grover Beach District Office to San Luis Obispo. The new address for San Luis Obispo is 4740 Aline Way, Suite 100. The phone number is area code 805-596-4153. The new office designation will be SLO. The DWC has posted an online forum for members of the public to review and comment on a draft of proposed regulations to update the medical treatment utilization schedule. This proposal modifies little known but very important provisions about how we authorize treatment based upon evidence-based medicine. After 2004, the definition of appropriate treatment for injured workers requires that there be high-quality scientific evidence to support a treatment request for injured workers. QMEs, or AMEs, can no longer approve disputed medical treatment without pointing out a guideline to support their opinion under the new QME regulations. The MTUS regulations specify what to do when there are conflicting guidelines or scientific articles about the disputed treatment. There is a rating system in the regulation which mandates that the UR physician and any QME or AME must rate the quality of conflicting scientific studies using a complex set of criteria. The proposed new regulations would update the methods to rate the quality of scientific evidence. The proposal creates a new panel of consultants, which a QME can use to rate the quality of science referred to in a guideline or article if necessary. These consultants will be paid as additional medical legal benefits. Comments about this proposed regulation change can be sent to the DWC for their consideration by April 8th. 
And in other news, the state fund received some criticism this week for the salary they paid to Janet Frank, the president they hired to replace a former president who was ousted in a scandal. They'd offer her a salary that, and benefits that were far beyond the reach of most state workers. The criticism surfaced when it was disclosed that she was paid a $450,000 annual salary, plus a signing bonus of nearly $140,000 to help her move from Colorado. She was also paid substantial bonuses along the way. This month, she was paid last year's bonus of $142,500. Overall, she earned more than $1.6 million by the time she resigned after only two years. Frank's compensation highlights the intrinsic conflict in an agency that is part government and part private business. Pay for most of the state funds, 7,400 workers, is limited by the civil service rules. However, top executives are exempt, receiving large salaries and perks that are more common in the private sector. Their pay packages are part of a recent effort to make the organization run more like a profit-making enterprise. After learning the details of Frank's compensation, Insurance Commissioner Steve Poisner ordered an audit. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone or iPod by searching WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm attorney Troy Slayton with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us, and please visit us again next week for more news.